All right, we're in Romans uh, chapter 8 as we continue our study on Romans. We only have one more week, so I'll make sure I speak quickly. <laughs> anyway, we're on uh, Romans 8, uh, verses 26 and 27. Uh, and in this section, Paul is going to talk about prayer. How appropriate, isn't it? Uh, he's going to talk about how we pray and what the role of the Holy Spirit is as we, as we pray. And so if you open your Bibles, look at... Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 26 and 27, as follows. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I can't tell you how often I'm struck by this proposition, that we often don't know what to pray for. Meaning, you, you know, you, you, you come into a, a sick room in a hospital, and, and you see someone is dying, uh, and so your first inclination is to pray for healing. But then sometimes you, you get stuck in the spirit and, and you feel, no, God, God is calling this person home. Let me pray for peace. Fill this room with your spirit. Give this person understanding. In other words, you're not even sure how to pray, what the words are to pray. And what he's saying here is that when you have the spirit of God in you, when you have the Holy Spirit, even in the groans of your spirit, God searches your spirit, he searches what the Holy Spirit says, and it's the Holy Spirit that intercedes between you and God. Isn't that extraordinary? That you don't even have to articulate the need. He reads the need. He reads the need. Now, this doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility to pray. I'm going to get into that at length. You do have a responsibility to pray. Always you have a responsibility to pray. Uh, this should be a regular part of your life. And you've heard me say this before. People say to me, well, how many times a day do I need to pray? Do I, you know, if I get up in the morning, do I tell you a prayer? Do I say a prayer before I go to bed? No. You need to pray, I say, 100 times a day. All right? And that's like Jesus saying, how much do I forgive? 70 times 7. I mean, every hour of the day, you need to be launching prayers up to the Creator uh, about your life about the words that you say, about how you speak to other people, about how you want to be more like Christ. Constantly asking God, help me, Lord Jesus, help me. You know, I have found one of the, the two best places for me to pray is in a car, and you need to do that if you're driving to Naples. All right, you better pray pretty hard if you're driving to Naples. Uh, but also, believe it or not, I often will play golf by myself. Just by myself. I'll go out first thing uh, in the morning before anybody else goes out. I go out first and I walk. And the whole way, I'm, I'm asking God uh, to speak to my heart, to, to let me know how, how he wants me to, to lead the church about people that need a touch. And, and what a, a expression that is to spend that solitary time communing with the creator. Imagine the creator of the universe has a relationship with you that he wants to hear from you, and you speak to him, and he speaks back. Now, he doesn't speak in an audible voice, uh, but he has spoken to me very powerfully 
so that I knew what he was wanted from me. He makes it very clear. Uh, and so this becomes a critical part of our Christian walk, praying. Uh, and, and even when you say, I don't know what to pray for, just ask God for wisdom and discernment. And I always finish every prayer that I make within, Lord, your perfect will. Your perfect will. An example of, of praying from uh, stupidity, uh, human stupidity, I have a great, great example of that. A couple years ago, Naples was about to get hit by a hurricane. Bruno called me. I was in California, and Bruno said, John, we're in big trouble. Bruno, the hurricane is going to hit square right in the middle of Naples. This is maybe five years ago. I forgot the name of that hurricane. We're getting some. Irma. So there I am in California, and I'm decided, Lord, I'm just going to get on my knees and pray urgently that the storm doesn't hit Naples directly, but let it go 15 miles off the beach. Let it pass 15 miles off the beach. Well, in fact, if it had gone 15 miles off the beach, like this last hurricane did, what would happen is that Naples would have been flooded with five feet of water for like a mile inland. Naples would have been eradicated. That was the stupidity of my prayer, that I thought this is what I needed to pray for. But you see how God is? God says that's the prayer of a stupid man. But I know what he wants. I know what he needs. And I'm going to answer that prayer so that Naples will, will be delivered. And he, and he does that because there were so many prayers. So that's an example. You finish the prayer with Lord in your perfect will. All right? And you do that even for people that are sick because the bottom line is that not everyone is going to be healed. Let's make that clear. Not every person is going to be healed because here's the deal. There's only one way you're going to get here and into heaven. You've got to die. You've got to die. You understand? And typically, in order to die, you probably have to get sick first. All right? That's the way it is. You're not going to be translated like Enoch was, all right, uh, or, or Elijah, all right? But, but in this world, you're going to get sick first. So we pray to God that he, that he anoints our minds and allows us to pray. And so the study of prayer, you see, has been problematic for many Christians from the beginning of Christ's time. Um, and, and Christians who want to pray in accordance with God's will uh, ask themselves, what should I pray for, God? How should I pray? Um, can I pray with confidence, uh, aiming things by faith? Uh, can I pray knowing that you're going to answer my prayer? Uh, do I need to add to my prayers in your will, Father? Do I need to do that in order for it to be answered? What happens if I pray wrongly? Well, I just gave you an example of that. All right, what happens if the prayer I'm making is not in accordance with his will? Does, God, does prayer get God to change his mind? That's another big question. Does prayer get God to change his mind? That's what Romans 8, 26, and 27 is all about. We're going to talk about that today. And so Paul has indicated to us uh, that the Holy Spirit teaches us about prayer. When you're saved, when God has implanted the Spirit of God in you, uh, that Spirit is teaching you how to pray. It is convicting you uh, that you need to pray. And the point is that it's happening because you have a different relationship with God now. Because as a born-again Christian, you are now dealing with God as your Abba Father. You understand? He's your Abba Father, meaning he's your dad. He's your dad. And those of you who had that special relationship with your dad, you know full well 
that you could always go to your father. You could always ask your father. He would always be there for you. Whatever you needed, he gave you. That's the relationship we have to have with God. Uh, and so we know, again, that we are the children of God. All right? We are the brothers of Jesus Christ. And nothing will separate us from the love of God. Nothing. The scripture is very clear about that. And so this all comes about as we continue to develop this relationship with God, aided and abetted by the Holy Spirit. You can't uh, overemphasize the role of the Holy Spirit. He is there in the place of Jesus Christ with you. And he now resides within you. Uh, and so here's the first thing that you need to remember. You cannot have continuing sin in your life and have your prayers answered. Let me make that perfectly clear. You cannot have continuing sin in your life uh, and expect to have your prayers answered. Now, who, who said that? David said that. And he would know that because he did have continuing sin in his life as it related to adultery, with Bathsheba. And I'm not talking about the fact that you get up and you're going to have a sin and you're going to do something wrong. I'm talking about the fact that there's a major issue in your life that's not within the will of God. All right? If you're involved, if you're married and you have an adulterous relationship, that, that adultery, that adultery is going to keep your prayers from answer, being answered. If you find yourself in a situation where you hate someone, you're, you're, you have a continuing relationship of hatred because you've been hurt. I spoke about this yesterday in church. You have to ask God to forgive you because that will keep your prayer from being answered. You can't be, have, have a relationship with God knowing that, that that really monumental barrier is there and expect God uh, to listen to you. Look at what he says in Psalm 66, verse 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Oh, Lord. Now remember, this is a man directly in the lineage of Jesus Christ, uh, the greatest king ever to be in Israel. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Cherishing sin in my heart, meaning you understand, it's like you have that little room that nobody else can touch, that you don't want to go there, uh, and you continue to live a hypocritical lie. You're not walking with God. You have this issue in your life. And we all have something like that. Well, you've got to get rid of it because your prayer won't be answered. And one of the things that tells us that is that when David had this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, uh, and even though he confessed that prayer, you will see, the theologians will tell you, that he wrote no psalms for 18 months. How about that? He wrote no psalms for 18 months because that continued, that scar tissue continued in his life, even as God was judging him, all right? Uh, eventually, he comes out of it, but you see the impact of sin in your life. It's serious. This is a big deal. This is not a throwaway line. Uh, and so we need to have it. So the very first thing that I have to say to you is this. <clears throat> you need to have a productive prayer life. You need to pray a hundred times a day. You need to ask for his will in everything you do. You need to ask him to make you more like Jesus, and he will. 
and he will. Uh, and, and as he does this, it may not be easy. In many ways, it's hard as, we, as he sands us down, but this is what he does. And then you have to eliminate the sin in your heart. You have to ask God, Father, take this away from me. Don't let me fall like this, Lord. You know what the issues are in your life. For some of us, it's alcohol. For some of us, uh, it may be drugs. For some of us, it may be pornography. All right? For some of us, it may be women. Whatever it is, whatever it is, the only way to address it is to ask God to take it out of your heart. And he will. He will. But you can't cherish that. You can't do that, uh, and this becomes an important part of understanding the role of prayer. Now, Paul is speaking in these verses about a lack of understanding of prayer, and I would say that that's very true, that most of us, even lifelong Christians, have a fundamental lack of understanding of prayer. It's that we often don't know what to pray for. What do I pray for, Lord? Uh, do I pray for success in my life? Well, let me tell you the first thing you don't pray for. Don't pray for your sports teams, all right? All right, really. Uh, don't say, oh, Lord, I got, I got 10 bucks on this game. I really need you to come through for me. You know, that's a prayer that doesn't even hit the ceiling, all right? All right? God doesn't care about sports, all right? But God cares about the fundamental issues of life. He cares about your relationships with your wife, with your children, with your church, with you, who are you? What, do you? what does God expect from you? What is the will of God in your life? Have you asked God, Lord, what's your will for me? What do you want me to do? Where do I go and walk? I was talking to one of our brothers this morning, uh, a guy who's had a magnificently successful life uh, in business, uh, and that God now, the last 10, 15 years, is using him to write about what it means to be a Christian businessman. You see? That's the essence of prayer. Prayer percolates within us and leads us that way. I told you that I'd prayed for years. What do you want me to do, God? Where do you want me to go? Where am I going the rest of my life? And then when I was about 50, he made it clear he wanted me to become a preacher. Now, did I ever think that this was possible when I was practicing law, you know, and ripping windpipes out of people who, who, who I didn't care for? All right. No. But God took that person, you understand? He took that person, he took the gifts and talents of that person, and he changed him and transformed him even as he would keep the giftedness that that person would have. This comes from prayer. This comes from asking God. Now, you need, all of you need to do that because there is a purpose in every one of your lives. I can't give you the purpose. Your pastor can't give you the purpose. It comes from him through the Holy Spirit, and speaks to your life. And every single one of you need to do this. So that's the first thing you need to pray for. Lord, help me to walk in your way. Help me to be the man you want me to be. Help me to intersect the lives of people you want me to intersect with, Lord. Uh, and so how, what do I ask for? One of the things I ask God to do is every time I ride on a plane, I ask God to put somebody next to me that needs to hear about the gospel. More often than not, God will answer that prayer, okay? So that's something you can simply do. Lord, put somebody next to me that needs to hear about you, and I will speak to them about you. That's a prayer that God, God will have, uh, answer. Uh, and so one of the things that we have to know, understand is what's God's will for us as we pray, and what's God's will for others? 
Well, the first thing you need to do is after you pray that God speaks to your heart about what he wants you to do, then you have to pray for others. Do you find that you have an overwhelming burden to pray for other people? And if you're honest with me, many of you would say, no, not really. And I would say that that's something you need to address. You need to have an overwhelming burden for the people of God, especially, who are hurting. And you need to pray that God gives them peace. That's the first thing I pray for when I, I know somebody is hurting. I said, Lord, please give them peace. Give them an understanding of what they're going through to connect it to their lives. And then, you know, within your will, Lord, I ask, I ask for healing. Uh, and this is something that you need to develop. Uh, the love of other people, the love of God that is demonstrated uh, in a prayer life that raises other people up. Uh, and I want, want you to understand that even the greatest saints, uh, the greatest saints had difficulty in understanding prayer. Really, the Bible speaks to us on that issue. Uh, there's a several illustrations in Scripture that I can use today. First is the case of Job. Job, a righteous man, unlike any other man in the world. He stood alone, uh, and God told, indicated he was righteous. Uh, if you look at Job chapter 1, verse 8, and there's, here is God speaking with Satan, uh, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. There he is. He will stand as the warrior of God, the paradigm of what God wants us to be. Job. Now you read Job, uh, and you know that, that it's, uh, it's an incredible story, as he will lose everything because Satan maintains, hey, he only worships you because you're good to him. If you take the blessings away, you're going to see where he is. He'll repudiate you. And God uses him as a warrior, as a paradigm to stand up. Uh, so there was no outstanding sin in the life of Job, nothing, uh, nothing at all. There would have been nothing that was a barrier between him and God. Yet Job was confused. He didn't understand this. Uh, uh, he didn't know why he was suffering. His prayer life was not communicating with God somehow. His friends had it figured out, all right? You know, they told him, you're a loser. You're a sinner. That's what this is about. God's going to destroy you. You know, curse God and die. That's what his, his uh, wife said, right? I knew a guy in my, one of my older churches who, whenever he would have a fight with his wife, the closing line that he would say to his line, wife as the, the, the fight culminated was, ah, Job's wife. That was a pretty serious indictment. All right? Yeah, that was a pretty serious indictment. This was a good man. This was a good man. But you see what happens when, when, when we're occluded uh, in our understanding of what God has for it. Uh, and so Job says to God, why have you made me your target? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? That was his prayer. Well, come on, Job. I've already forgiven your sins. I've pardoned you, but I'm making something special of you. I'm taking all the pride out of you so that you will be perfect in every way. But he didn't understand it. So if a guy as good as Job, blameless, 
uh, that there was no sin, didn't understand the prayer issue, how much more us. I'm doing this to encourage you to understand that this is a lifelong process. Elijah is another example of this. Uh, the great prophet was a courageous man. Look at him. He stood up to Jezebel, uh, and, and, and he stood up against the 800 prophets of Baal there on Mount Carmel, uh, and in which he asked God to bring fire down. God brings down fire, destroys all the prophets of Baal. He secured an enormous victory for God. And then shortly thereafter, when Jezebel said, I hate that guy, he's got to die, he goes into seclusion and hides, all right? Uh, and he's emotionally drained because of the battle. Uh, and he's fearing for his life, even though God had been using him in a mighty way. Uh, what did he pray for? He asked God to take his life. Let me die, God. Let me die. I've had enough. I can't go on. This was now, this was a confused and foolish prayer. All right? Here was this great warrior for God. Uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't going to uh, take him home. He had work to do. Uh, and God had more to do for him. But you see, even a guy as great as, as, as Elijah didn't understand truly how to pray. Now, Job teaches us that a man can be both righteous and still not know what to pray for. Uh, and, and Elijah teaches us that a person can be courageous and be a powerful servant of God and still make the wrong prayer. Now, a third example uh, that I would bring to your attention is in the New Testament is Mary Magdalene. Now, she was, her chief characteristic was, was love. She loved Jesus greatly. Uh, still, love was no defense for an ignorance uh, or lack of understanding even in her prayer life. She did not have the faintest idea of what God was doing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know that she went to the garden the morning after uh, Jesus was entombed uh, on Sunday morning, and, and, and she runs into Jesus, and she didn't recognize him, and instead thinks he's a gardener, and ask where they buried Jesus, okay? And this is a woman devout in every way, a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, yet she's confused even in her prayer life, not recognizing who Jesus is. Is it any wonder then, is it any wonder that we have difficulty understanding how to pray, how we pray, the way we pray? Is it any, any wonder? And the thing is that God knows that, and that's why God has put the Holy Spirit in your life. And as I would say to this, as you walk with God, as you try to live a righteous life, that you recognize that you have that within you, and that as it is within you, that you bow to God and say, Father, reveal your will to me. Help me to know what to pray for. And what happens is that the Holy Spirit actually reaches out to God. It is the Holy Spirit that is connecting to God. All right, and you're just going, oh, God, help me. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God, help me. Uh, and that is the most poignant kind of prayer that you can make because the Holy Spirit reads that prayer and translates that prayer and speaks directly to God. Uh, and so this becomes important. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us and shoulders the burden of prayer. He identifies with us in our weakness. 
just as Jesus did in his incarnation and his work with his disciples. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He will be a counselor. He will be a comforter. He will be in you. Not only will he be with you, he will be in you. And so I believe that what's happened to us as, as Christian men is we fail to recognize the import of the Holy Spirit within our lives. You have every ability within your life to speak to God on a regular basis, even if you don't know how, but he's equipping you with the Holy Spirit. Now, this, the second point that Paul is making uh, in this section of Scripture is that there is intercession going on, that the Spirit intercedes with us for groans, by groaning with words that we don't understand. Now, you, I'm sure you've been in that situation where, where you may be downcast, you may be somewhat depressed, um, and, and you are somewhat overwhelmed, and all you can do is go, oh, oh, God, oh, God. And you can't even articulate it more than saying, oh, God, and you're groaning. Uh, well, it's the Holy Spirit who searches your heart and reads that groan. And then the God, the Creator, connects with the Holy Spirit, searches for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit delivers that prayer to God. The most profound, articulate prayer that you can make often is made with a groan. You don't have to worry about the words, all right? I hear people say to me sometimes, well, you know, I, don't, I, can't, I can't pray publicly. I can't put those words together. Let me assure you, I understand that there may be a difference between corporate prayer, uh, where it's public, and private prayer. But I want to let you know this, that your private prayers don't have to be eloquent, all right? You don't have to be William Shakespeare in order to get to God. You don't even have to speak like the King James Version of the Bible, Right? You understand that. So many of us grew up going, yes, thy and thou. You understand that. I, I grew up thinking that uh, effectively that's how Jesus spoke. All right? If it wasn't in the King James Version, it's not the real Bible. All right? You know, many of us came up with that. But the point of it is God says, you speak to me like I'm your father. Don't worry about the articulation of the words. Uh, God searches the heart, and he searches the mind uh, of the Spirit, and he answers it correctly. That's why you can't have continuing sin in your life, all right? Because you don't want that to be a barrier to God, all right? You want to say, God, please forgive me. Uh, I remove this sin. I remove this hatred. I remove this resentment. I remove this ongoing sin, whether it's alcohol or drugs or adultery, or pornography, and as I do it, I ask you to deliver it from me, Father, because I want to have this continuing relationship with you, and when you do that, he answers those prayers, and now he reads your spirit, and he's answering the spirit. Now, Jesus, you see, did that for Peter when he said that, that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat, uh, and he says there uh, to Peter, I have prayed for you, Simon. I have prayed for you. This is right before he's going to be betrayed. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. That's a great prayer. I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. He didn't say, I'm praying for you that you won't be tempted. Do you notice that? 
He didn't say, I'm praying that you, won't, uh, that you won't be tempted by this way. No, he understood there is a purpose for temptation. There's not a purpose for sin. But I'm praying for you that your faith will not fail you. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. How about that? Strengthen your others. Be one of the guiding lights of the disciples, that you'll be strengthened because you'll remember what it is to be a human being, that you fell, that you failed to do what you said to me, that you denied me three times, but that God has forgiven you. And I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith will not fail. What a wonderful prayer that is. That's a great prayer to make for yourself and other people in the church. Lord, I pray that my faith will stay strong that I'll be faithful, Lord, that you'll keep the guardrails up in my life. You know the guardrails that I've spoken about that God puts in your life so that when you stray off the middle path, instead of going into a ditch, you hit the guardrail, right? You hit the guardrail. Well, what happens when you hit a guardrail? There's some dents. There's some pain. There's some discomfort, but what happens? You come back to the middle, you understand? And we've all experienced this, the guardrails of our life that we've made mistakes. Look, we've all made mistakes. I have made monumental mistakes. When I sit here and look at where God has put me, I am amazed that God would forgive some of the incredible mistakes that I've made in my life, and yet that he would call me to do this, because that's the love of God, because he sees your heart. He sees repentance. He sees confession. You are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. Don't carry that around on an ongoing basis. Understand that he loves you and has forgiven you. And now the question is, what is he going to do with you for the rest of your life? Here's the deal. He didn't call you to play golf in Naples, Florida every day. You understand? Now this may be breaking bad news to you. But that's not the purpose of why he created you. I have nothing against golf. We should all punish ourselves once in a while by playing golf, all right? But here's the point. Here's the point. That's not the purpose of your life. The purpose of your life is not recreation. The purpose of your life is not comfort. The purpose of your life is serving him, serving him. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, yeah, John, well, you're a preacher, you got it set up. It's easy for you to say that. You think it's easy for me to say that? You think it's, you think it's easy for me to write a sermon every week uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit that I know what people want to hear, that they need to hear? You think, that, you think it's easy for me when I get done Sundays after I've worked all week to prepare a sermon and then to go home Sunday and to sit here and go through the Bible and prepare? You think it's easy to do that? But I do it because I'm called by God to do it. It's the call of God on my life. Now, here's the thing. You have a similar call. You don't have my call. You have a similar call. God has made you the priest of your home. Are you serving as the priest of your home? Are you a leader in your house? Are you inspiring your wife? Are you inspiring your children? Do you bring them to church? Do you go to church every week? It's a big one. Don't tell me you're, you're, you're serving Jesus and you don't go to church. You don't show God the respect that you can't take an hour out of your life on a Sunday and, and, and bow before him and serve him. Uh, this is all part of the call of God on your life, all right? And this is why you pray, Lord, reveal your will to me in every way. 
and, and some of you will say, well, I don't really like my church. Well, you know what? Maybe you don't like your church. Maybe God wants you to find another church. That's the will of God also. Did you pray about it? Did you ask God to speak to your heart on that issue? Because you need to do it. Uh, and so the bearing of our prayer burdens does not have to be in words, as this passage clearly goes on. And let me assure you that. So if you say to me, John, I'm just not articulate. When I bow before God, I don't know what to pray for. That's okay. That's okay. You ask God to, to address the needs in your life and those around you. And you groan, and you groan, and you groan, and he'll answer that. Now, what is our responsibility? What's our responsibility in prayer? Well, first of all, you are supposed to pray. This is part of our ongoing, continuing role. You have to pray, all right? You don't have to get on your knees to do it. Let's understand that. You don't have to get on your knees. As I get older, I can't even get on my knees. My knees hurt me so much, all right? Uh, but what I want you to know is you don't have to get on, on your knees. You can go into a closet, close the closet, uh, and, and pray. We saw a movie in church on Saturday on that very issue, the war room. Uh, in which this prayer warrior would go into a closet, lock the closet door, and pray for an hour, all right, between just herself and God. So you need to do that. You need to pray. God commands us to pray and to pray continually. Look in your Bible to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Again, Paul, rejoice always, pray Without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Oh, what a great guy. This is the guy that had the ongoing thorn in the flesh. All right? This is the guy who, who spent pretty much two-thirds of his life in prison, uh, who was whipped and beaten and shipwrecked twice. Look what he says there. Uh, uh, rejoice. Rejoice always. Rejoice. Are you rejoicing always? Are you? Or are you secretly saying, oh, oh, I've got so much wrong. Oh, I'm so disgusted. Not recognizing what God is doing for you, that he's given you life and opportunity, and he's brought you together with brothers that love you, that he's given you a church where you can grow. Rejoice always. I thank you, God, for everything that you've given me. I thank you, Father, for my wife. I thank you, Father, for my children. I thank you for my grandchildren. I thank you, Father, that you've given me health. How about that? Do you thank God for that, that you've given me health? I thank you, Father, that you've given me opportunity to serve you. I thank you, Father, that you've given me a ministry that I can serve you. Have you done that? I mean, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. I love this. Pray without ceasing. This is why I want you to get back as men of God to pray always. Pray when you're driving the car. Pray when you're walking your dog. Pray when you're uh, at meal. Pray when you're in church. Yes, even right now as I'm speaking to you, I hope you're praying. I hope you're saying, Lord Jesus, let these words that he's articulating resonate in my heart. Help me, God, to be more like you. You should be praying right now. And I'm speaking to me first. Okay? I'm not indicting any of you. I'm indicting me. Let's understand something. Pray always. Always. And give thanks 
in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances? How can I give thanks in all circumstances? I've just turned on Fox News. How can I give thanks? My stock portfolio has just gone down 25%. How can I give thanks? Give thanks. Because it's his money. It's his will. Everything in your life is his. Give thanks for everything. All right? Rejoice always. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You understand it? That's the will of God. And so you're praying, asking God for his will, and he speaks to you even in dark circumstances and giving you the peace and affirmation that it is the will of God that you're going through what you're going through. All of this is what it's about as we walk with God. Can you imagine? The world doesn't have this. They don't have this. They can't rejoice in all circumstances because it doesn't work out for good for them. But you're different. You're different. You're sold out to Jesus Christ. Now, we should not expect prayer to be easy. In all ways, the Christian life is a struggle. You do not even have to see results uh, in your prayer life. The important part is that you continue on. Uh, some, we raised the question early on, does God change his mind with prayer? Fundamentally, I don't think God changes his mind. He's changing you. When you pray, he's comporting your will to his will. Uh, and I, you, know, you have to understand that the great creator has, has foreknowledge foreknowledge as to what we're doing. He sees the beginning and the end all at the same time. Uh, and so we're asking God. We're asking God uh, to intervene in our prayer life, and God responds by saying, your prayer is changing you, comporting your will. It's like, it's like when Paul asked to be delivered from the thorn in the flesh, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. That thorn is changing you. That thorn is changing you, all right? Now, you don't know that. You don't understand this as you pray and reach out to God, but that's what's going on. The circumstance of your life as you walk with God, those circumstances are changing your life. Uh, and so we know that prayer is not easy. We don't know what to ask for. Uh, we often don't see it result. Uh, and, and the important is that we have to focus on the fact that you're speaking to the sovereign creator of the universe. You understand? You, you puny, insignificant little man, are praying to the creator of the entire universe. And he hears you. And he listens to you. And he's changing you. All right? He is responding to you, even though he may not give you the answer that you want. But he's doing that. Oh, God, how great you are. And so does prayer get God to change his mind? Really, I don't think so, really. I think instead God sets up parameters of what his will is for us. And, and his will for us can, can go in several ways. And he looks to see how we respond. And as we pray, that he channels that answer in one of several ways. Uh, because God has ordained it that it should be. He has already dictated how it ought to end. He has foreknowledge. You know, I want you to understand this. 
uh, as we come to understand this. Uh, I personally do not believe that, the, that we are predestined from the beginning of creation uh, to be saved or to go to hell. All right? And I respect my Reformed brethren. I respect it. But I can't read John 3.16. I can't read John 3.16. Whosoever, whosoever shall accept Christ as his Lord and Savior shall be saved. Whosoever. What part of whosoever has been predetermined by God? Instead, I believe that God, in his great foreknowledge, knows the choices you're going to make with your life. He sits there holding the very atoms and molecules of who you are. And as he does that and puts you out into this stream of creation, he knows, yes, this, this John will accept me. This Joe will reject me. And yet he gives you the chance still. He gives you the chance, whosoever. Don't ever forget it. And so let's, let's understand this. God has ordained it that that is the way it shall be. He expects you to pray. Uh, and look at what it says in Matthew 7, if you have any doubt about this. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and this is Jesus. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks, find. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, is he talking about riches? Is he talking about a good stock portfolio? No, he's talking about salvation. He's talking about eternal life. You understand? Nothing greater than that. It's the gold bar. So anyone who seeks will find. You're looking for salvation, you'll find it. If you knock, it'll be, it'll be a response. And so we understand this, that this is what God expects from us. That's why today, after this service, it's so appropriate, I'm going to do an anointing service. I'm demonstrating my submission to God in that way. All right? I don't yank you and say you have to come up. That's in your own free will. But I'm serving him and doing what he wants. Look what James says in James chapter 4. Verse 2, you desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. All right? And so as we study the fruit of the Spirit, we recognize that God has given us all of the joys that we could have uh, in this life. Uh, to have the peace of God, the kindness of God, the joy of God, the very love of God. He's given it to you. Uh, and in your prayer life, he responds to you in every way. Uh, and, and so this is all key to understanding this passage, understanding what God expects you to do and how he expects you to pray. Look, it's true as we, we bring this to a close. It's, it's true that we do not really know precisely what to pray for. But the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit knows what to pray for. And the Holy Spirit has been given to us by God to precisely guide us how to pray. Uh, and so with his help, with the Holy Spirit's help, we grow as Christians. Uh, one theologian that I liked very much compared this entire prayer experience uh, to a man learning how to pray, play a violin. And so the man gets the violin, uh, and when he starts, he's not very good. And you know how that is when you play the violin. It's hard even to listen to it. It sounds like somebody's sawing wood. 
but he practices. And he listens to classical broadcasts on the radio. And he plays along. And I like to think listening to classical broadcasts is like going to church or going here and hearing a sermon. And he plays along. And he improves week after week. Uh, and prayer is like that, you see. Uh, because there are plenty of mistaken notes also. I understand. But God is lifting you up. He's affirming you. He's teaching you. And there is progress. There is joy. And there is encouragement. And I know that you guys can testify that you, that you come and feel the imprint of God on your life. More now than you've ever felt it before. God is conducting the perfect orchestra. You can stand encouraged. The Holy Spirit stands next to you as you walk through the rest of your life. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you so much for the lesson that you've given us on prayer as, as Paul has enunciated it so clearly, Father. I pray that we have a greater understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Father. That we recognize that he's there for us to teach us how to pray, to guide us how to pray, to help us to love, and most importantly, to reach out to you. And so, Lord, I would ask you today that we're convicted of sin, that any permanent barrier in our life is removed because we want to be like David, so that when we pray, you will hear us. Father, bless our men, protect them, and bring them back safely next week as we continue to study your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all.